So I want to introduce um, Bill and Mary Lipman today. I have had many conversations with Bill over the phone, and I'm excited to welcome him to Chalmers. Um, something that has uh, been very clear to me uh, is his desire not only to preach on Sundays, um, but to pour into our leaders, uh, our ministries, and our church family. So I welcome uh, Bill and Mary, and I trust God will bless your time here. By your statements of commitment and the affirmation of this congregation, we welcome you as the interim pastor. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you all. Uh, it's been an inter interesting journey for Mary and I of, over the last year. We first visited here back in May a year ago. And somehow or another, God just gave us a soft spot for Chalmers in our hearts at that point. And it has come to fruition now that we're here for three months. We're excited to be here. Uh, these first few days, we're going to be living with Mary's sister up in Southampton. Uh, and sort of commuting a little bit, but we'll be a little more settled in September when we're hoping to get a cottage. So the plan is for me to be here for about three months, and I view my job as being here to encourage you all. Because we've, anytime we've thought about Chalmers and looked at the website and been here to worship, we've just seen God at work. And we know that he wants to continue that work and that uh, we're just here as encouragers, as kind of a Barnabas, to pat you on the back and say, yes, God is working. Yes, God wants to do great things. And God wants to use you as a part of that process. So that's how I'm viewing our time. And we, we're just sure that God has good things in store for the future. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing how that all works out. This week, uh, we're up here for the whole week, and we just want to encourage you. I th various ones have already contacted us. I think we put this in the announcements last week that we'd just love to visit anyone or have a coffee or whatever. If, so if you have some free time this week, I have some business cards that are on the table at the back and uh, at the table down at the door. And uh, my, my cell number's there. You can text me or, or uh, phone me or use my email, let me know. And or phone the office, and, and I'll be in touch with Mandy. We'd really like to get to meet as many of you as possible, so just so we can know in these few months together, how can we really do something for God? Because he wants to work. So in my messages, my plan is to focus on the life of Christ. Uh, I like to uh, see one of the big dynamics in my life as being Jesus-y to be uh, focusing on Jesus, thinking about how Jesus ministered to the disciples, thinking about what he really wanted to accomplish in them and through them, and to see how that all worked out through the New Testament. So we're going to be working through various passages in the Gospels over, over my time here. Uh, today, we're going to start with a, a bit of a bigger picture where we're going to talk about God's crowd and God's jumbotron. Because what we see in the whole Bible is that throughout history, God was developing a crowd of people that will one day worship together throughout eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And at the same time, God has paid close attention to each of us personally. And, and so we get to have jumbotron moments, just like the fans do at the big games. So let's dig into that. 
I thought we might start with the sports metaphor. That seems to be something that just about everybody can relate to. So, uh, but I don't know what your favorite sports are. So I'm going to do a little survey, OK? So are, are, are there any baseball fans here? OK, OK, good, good. Blue Jays or, or Montreal Expos or no? OK. And uh, so how about football? Uh, not so much. OK. Cool. How about curling? Is, is this a, okay, some curlers, good. And uh, so what about hockey? Okay, a little better, okay. How many of you have ever been to a big game? Okay, how many of you have ever been to a, a big concert? Uh, you know, like, yeah. And did you enjoy being in that crowd? Was that pretty exciting? It fascinates me how people get excited about being in crowds. Uh, this spring, the Raptors were, were a big deal. And so there were all kinds of people that, even though they couldn't get into the Scotiabank Arena, went down to Jurassic Park. And, and they lined up for days just to be able to stand in Jurassic Park and watch the games on the big screen because they wanted to be in the crowd. They wanted to be there to celebrate, OK? If you're a Leafs fan, you may not want to acknowledge that. But if you are, you know, you would want to go to Maple Leaf Square, same spot. They just rename it for the Maple Leafs games. Because people like to be a part of that crowd, and it's virtually impossible to get in to see the Leafs unless you have a million dollars or whatever. And so they go there because they want to be a part of the crowd. I think that's something we can all understand. And at the same time, there's a dynamic in us that wants to be known in the crowd. We don't just want to be there. It's great to be there. It's fun to be there. It's exciting. But we also want to be known personally. And so people will, will take Bristol boards with them, and they'll put messages on them. And what they're doing is they're saying, yes, here I am in the crowd. And yes, the Maple Leafs are cool. But I want to be known as an, as an individual. Hey, look at me. Because I'm special too. Even though I'm in this crowd and there's thousands of people here, I'm special too. And I wanted to talk about those two dynamics in our lives because God uses both of those dynamics in us as he's doing his work in the world. So he has his own crowd. We're going to talk about that. And he has his own jumbotron. Uh, so that when we, when we want to have our special moment, we don't need to hold up a Bristol board. We need to be faithful to him, and we get to show up on his jumbotron. So let's dig in. God's crowd. My uh, passage for this section is found in Romans chapter 1. If you have a Bible and want to turn to that, and it would be helpful, I'll read it for us, and uh, we'll... I'll then focus on a little bit of it. So this is Paul introducing himself to the Romans, uh, and he's describing the gospel of God. And let's look at how he describes that gospel. God's big story, God's big message for the world. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. That's the word of God. And let's think about it. There's so many things. Romans is an amazing book, and a wonderful overview book of all that God is doing. But in this introduction, Paul is pointing out some things that are helpful for us today. And I'll just highlight a couple of verses. The, fir the first verse to highlight is verse 2. It's talking about the gospel, the good news that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So right away, Paul is saying, look, I've been doing something for a long time. I've been developing a story for a long time. I've sent prophets in the past to tell you about this big story. And I want you to understand that this is a big story that you get to be a part of. And then the other thing that comes out is, there's a whole lot in here, and we could emphasize other things, but for today, two things that will be helpful for us to see. The second one being, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to uh, the obedience that comes from faith. So there's this huge story about how God is working, and then within that, there's a, an understanding that it's going to be for the whole world. It isn't just for the Jewish people. They had begun to think it was just all about them. No, it's going to be for the whole world. There's going to be this huge crowd that God wants to draw unto himself. And so we want to think about how that developed and, and how important it is to God. To do that, it's helpful to go back, to think about how God grew a crowd, to go back to the beginning. And to go into Genesis and to read the account how God created the world. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why did God create the world? Why did God create human beings? We aren't really told his full motivation. We know that he seems to be pleased as he's doing it. We know that he seems to want to have a kind of relationship with human beings. That's why he created us. But it's not a, a complete peer-to-peer -peer relationship with us. It, it's an interesting relationship, a very positive one, but, a, but an interesting one. We don't know all the reasons. But we do know that he created, he blessed uh, Adam and Eve, he put them in a garden, and uh, it was beautiful for them. But he didn't want it, even though they had nice fellowship in the evenings, he didn't want it just to stay there. He wanted to have more fellowship. He wanted to have a big crowd. And so he told them this, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Here's Adam and Eve, and he wants them to understand that he wants a crowd. Go and multiply. Go and have lots of babies. Go and encourage them to have lots of babies. We want a crowd. That was on God's heart. We, we don't understand fully what his motivation was, what his reasons were, but we know that that's on his heart. He wanted a crowd. Well, Adam and Eve totally messed up, totally blew it. Uh, we have the fall, and, and they reaped a whirlwind because of their sinfulness. You know, their, their one son killed the other son, uh, and, and humanity just was stuck in a big mess in those first chapters of Genesis. But God still wanted a crowd. God still wanted to work for his glory. He wanted a people. And so you come along, and with Abraham, we see how God is beginning to rebuild that idea. 
So uh, he speaks to Abraham and he gives him an amazing promise. And he says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So we're getting back to the multiplication idea. We're getting back to the big crowd. God is saying to Abraham, look, I want a crowd as big as all the stars in the sky. That's what I want. I want to have that much fellowship. I want to have that many people to relate to. But it was kind of weird for Abram because he didn't even have a son of his own at that point. You know, and so he had to go by faith, and that was an amazing journey. It, it, interestingly enough, God continued to uh, speak to Abram's son Isaac and then to Isaac's son Jacob about these promises, talking about multiplying them, talking about blessing them. And, and they, as families, began to grow until you get to Jacob, and, and he's got quite a big family. He's multiplied a fair bit. Still, it's just a, a, a tribe. And you're wondering, what's going to happen next? Well, God had further things in store. He took them down into Egypt. And uh, bringing them up out of Egypt, he wanted them to understand in the Exodus just what his heart was about. So when Moses was going to Pharaoh, trying to get the people out of Egypt, bringing God's message, what did he say? Let my, let my people go. Interesting choice of words, isn't it? These are my people. This is my crowd. This is my family. Let them go. He had that relationship. That was important to him. And he wanted to build on that. And, and he was very clear with uh, Pharaoh about that, to say, let my people go. But then he wanted the people to understand it. And so there in the midst of all the teaching in Exodus, God says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so he's giving us a picture there of a God who loves all these different people. There were hundreds of thousands by then. And he loves them all, and he's with them, and he's the one that's leading them and guiding them and taking care of them and nurturing them so that they can go to the promised land and be blessed and be fruitful and multiply. It's just amazing to think of how good he is. The awkward thing, though, was that, again, they messed up. That's, that's our human condition. We, we picked it up from Adam and Eve, and we carry on that sad tradition. Of, of being selfish and doing things our way and not listening to God. And, and so throughout the Old Testament, you got a, a lot of sad stories, a lot of problems, all kinds of things that happen. But we know that God's desire was always to have a people. And so he spoke through the prophets. He, he reminded them again and again. He told them again and again that he wanted to have a people. We could spend a lot of time going through all those prophecies, but we won't focus there today. The point is that he knew he was going to do something different to fix it. And he was going to accomplish that through Jesus. And so we come up into the New Testament and uh, we see that Jesus is saving a people for himself. Everything's going to be different. Uh, God had watched all of the troubles of the Old Testament. He'd watched all the pride and the sinfulness and the, and the willfulness of the people. And he wanted to work for his glory. So John the Baptist came as the announcer. 
uh, and uh, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So uh, God said, be fruitful and multiply. God began to call them a people. And now Jesus says, and uh, the message of Jesus is about the kingdom of heaven. It's not just going to be about a bunch of people gathering together on their own. They're going to be a part of a kingdom. Jesus is going to be the king, and we're going to be his crowd. And that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. So Jesus repeated that himself in Mark at the very beginning. He's announcing his ministry, and it says that Jesus went proclaiming the good news of God, saying the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I'm building a kingdom. I want to have as many people as possible in my kingdom. I want to have the biggest crowd possible. I want you all to join in. So come, repent, and believe the good news. It, there's a process there where we need to understand. It's not just about us getting to go to a, a fun event like a concert and sort of still maintaining our own sense of space. It's about us becoming Jesus' servants. It's about us joining into his kingdom but we get to be a part of that crowd. We get to be with him throughout eternity. And uh, it's an amazing thing to, to see Jesus talking about. He gave us another picture of it in uh, Luke chapter 13. He says, people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Think of the best wedding feast you ever went to, or think of the best meal you ever had, and multiply that by like a thousand or a million. That's what Jesus is saying. There's going to be this phenomenal celebration. We're going to have a great feast, and everybody's going to come from every which way, and we're going to celebrate together, and it's going to be throughout eternity. That's our great hope. Jesus wants that crowd, and we get to be a part of it. See, that's why he uh, loved us. That's why he came and died for us. Uh, he, he died on the cross to buy our salvation. He paid a, uh, an incredible price for that. And uh, through that, he offers to cleanse us so that we can then come and be wedding guests wear the new clothes that he will offer us, washing our old clothes in, in his blood so that we then will be able to take part with him throughout eternity. Wow, that's our opportunity. Uh, and so Titus talks about it this way, summarizing a little bit, saying that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And that's what I find cool about Chalmers. Uh, when we were here first time, uh, Pastor Brian was talking about going over to the garbage dump and picking up the trash. And I thought, this is cool. I, I didn't show up at the dump, but I thought, this is cool. Because here's, here's a church that looks around at their community and is ready to do something that isn't very nice to do just to be able to be a, be, just to be a blessing to the community. And I think that it, it wasn't just him pushing you. I think that's kind of who you folks are. And that's beautiful. You have met Jesus. He's worked in you. He's redeemed you. And he's 
purifying you so that you can be a people that are his very own and can do what is good. What a blessing. And that means, as we participate together in that project, that means that we look forward to the celebration of all celebrations. You can go to the Revelation of John right at the very end of the New Testament, the end of the Bible, talking about the great celebration of the future. And it says this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. You know, we think about the biggest game you can think of. You think about the Super Bowl, or you, you think about the, the Raptors winning the championship, or you think about what the shout would be like if the Leaf, Leafs actually won the cup someday. You know, th those would be big roars, right? But this is a roar way beyond that. It's the roar of a great multitude in heaven. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's Jesus' plan for us as we participate in his people. That's how we get to be in the crowd. And it, it, it's repeated again, just so that we don't forget. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters. So have you ever been to Niagara Falls and that roar? And like a loud, loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. So that's the crowd experience that God wants for us. That's what we're looking forward to. He's drawing us into that as his people. And it, that's cool. It's cool to come here and think, yeah, as, as Chalmers people sitting in a pew this morning, we get to be a part of that crowd. And it's good just to be here. It's good just to be a part. But we want to be more than people that just sit in pews, don't we? We want to be more than people than, that come here on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, it's great, and then go off and do our own thing, and then come back next week and say, yeah, it's great, and then go off and do our own thing. We want to understand that God has an understanding of who we are as individuals and pays close attention to us and, and how we can get closer to him and, and love him more and more. And that's where the jumbotron comes in. Because, uh, you know, people in the, in the rink or in the, in the stadium like to have those Bristol boards. We need to know that God has a jumbotron on us, too. And let's talk about that. That's kind of a cheesy graphic. It's the best one I could find. But, uh, you know, heaven pays attention to earth. And Jesus talked about that. In Galatians, our other passage, it, it comes out this way. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave, us, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Romans was talking about the gospel. This is talking about the gospel. Romans gave us the bigger picture of the gospel. This gives us the, the more uh, focused in, more zoomed in picture of the gospel. And this is the, the picture of the gospel where Jesus was dying on the cross so that individuals could be rescued. Have you ever seen a picture of uh, people being rescued at sea? You know, they may be in a rowboat 
or uh, uh, some, uh, you know, that kind of thing, or one of those sorts of situations. And the helicopter comes along, and, and even though there's 10 people in the boat, they take one out at a time. Or even if a bigger boat comes along and they get alongside and they have those rope ladders dangling down, you know, they, they have to help each individual out at a time. And that's how rescue works. And so when we talk about Jesus rescuing us, it's about Jesus knowing Bill Lippman. It's about Jesus knowing Mary Lippman. It's about Jesus knowing us as individuals and coming along and loving us as individuals and rescuing us. Uh, and wow, what a privilege, eh? So uh, we need to think about God's attentive care. In the Psalms, there's this Psalm 139, which is amazing in terms of helping us to understand God's care for us. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. So uh, we have two grandchildren, Emma and Jeremy. And we also have one on the way. And I, I didn't do this with both of the other kids, but it's something that God blessed me with. I was thinking about a passage in Proverbs talking about how grandchildren are the crown of grandparent. And I looked up that word crown in the uh, Hebrew. I have an, an app that helps me to do that. Don't worry. Uh, and uh, you just push the button, and it says boing. Uh, and the word, that word for crown is Atara. And that's what I call my little unborn grandchild, Atara. Because I know that God loves that little child. Don't know what it is yet, but, but you know, God loves that little child. And, you know, they, they went to the ultrasound the other week and the kids got to go along and they could see the, the, uh, the baby and the baby drank some amniotic fluid and got the hiccups. And, you know, like, that's what we can do with a little bit of technology we have. Imagine what God can do. He pays attention to us and he loves us just like that. Those little details. Uh, so that's God's uh, big picture of how he cares for us. Uh, Jesus put it this way, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will f fall to the ground apart from the will of your father, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I don't have as many hairs on my head as I used to, but God knows how many. And he knows for each one of us in real time, before I comb my hair and after I comb my hair. You know, he pays attention, and, and that's his attentive care for us. Uh, it's interesting, though, that it, th th those seem kind of general, and it gets very specific. And in the life of Christ, we see a whole lot of various points where this comes out. One example that I rather enjoy is found at the beginning of John. And Andrew uh, went and grabbed his brother. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, me, which when translated is Peter. 
So here was this guy that Jesus had never physically met before, and yet Jesus knew who he was because he was God uh, and had uh, the ability to understand people and know the future as, 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 he, as the Father helped him by the Spirit. Uh, Jesus knew that this man, Simon, was going to be called Peter. Uh, he, he paid attention to him as an individual. And another one is the story of Nathaniel, the, you know, this movement in, early, in that first part of John, going out and, and getting these guys recruited. Philip goes and brings his friend Nathaniel, and uh, Jesus says, here's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. And Nathaniel is like, okay, so how do you know me? This is weird is what Nathaniel's saying. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. See, Nathaniel, you didn't know I was paying attention, but I was. You were on my jumbotron. You're on my screen. So we then see how it works on the bigger scale when we begin to hear about the lost sheep. Uh, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, and then he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So you remember my cheesy photo? The angels looking down? There's more rejoicing in heaven over one individual that repents. They're paying attention. They're seeing it. That night when I chose to accept Christ as my personal Savior, they rejoiced over Bill Lipman personally and over a whole bunch of other people who were being saved all around the world at the same time because we were on the jumbotron. God cares about us that much. Uh, similarly, he says a little bit further on, after the story of the woman finding the lost coin and being so excited about it, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So it isn't just God who's paying attention to us. It's his, it's his, it's his whole group up there. It's the heavenly host. And they pay attention to us, and they get excited for us as we respond to God. And it, it, I just... I'm blessed by that. It's a little scary, too, because that means they see the junk as well, which is, you know, I don't generally use as illustrations. But, but you know what I mean. But it, but it helps us to know that Jesus is really paying attention. It's so precious. And there is that sobering thought, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry, and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So his attention is very real, and he sees us at our best, and he sees us at our worst, and he sees those that are truly following him, and he sees those that are just going through the motions or actively running the other way, and, and he is going to deal with each person as an individual. We need to take that seriously. So just like we don't want to be sort of a casual groupie coming to church and being a part of the crowd and saying, yeah, that's cool, we need to understand as a part of the crowd we want to join in kingdom work and, and, and uh, allow Jesus to work in and through us. So when we think about God's personal care for us, we don't want to just say, yeah, that was cool that he saw when I became a Christian, now I can do my own thing. No, we want to understand that he's paying close attention to us so that he can help us to be our very best live up to all that we can become for his glory. So, 
We have the opportunity to be a part of Jesus' crowd. As we come here to Chalmers week in and week out, we're a part of Jesus' crowd. There may not be thousands of us right here, but we're a part of millions around the world. Uh, Mary and I have had the opportunity to travel a little bit, and so we've, we've visited house church pastors in China. And Bonnie and I were talking about missions trips, and she was talking about going to Haiti and, and blessing people there. It's Haiti, right? And, you know, there's so many other places we could go on and on. Uh, Mary's home church in Oshawa has sent a team to Africa. There's, there's this huge crowd, and, and we get to be a part of it. That's amazing. And so uh, we can think about that and say, wow, Lord, how do you want us to take the next step on that? Lord, I don't want to just be a pew sitter. I want to see your power at work in me, and I want to be blessed by you. How, as a part of this crowd, Lord, how can we do good things for your glory? And we get to remember God's videotron. And we can get up and be like the psalmist in, 139 and, in Psalm 139 and say, Wow, Lord, you know me so well. And we can think about Jesus and we can say, well, Lord, you uh, care about me and I'm worth more than a bunch of sparrows and you know the number of hairs on my head and you pay attention to me. Lord, what today, how do you want to bless me? How do you want to lead me and guide me? And so thinking of those two things helps us to understand that it's good for us to be reading God's word so that we understand him better and know better how to live for his glory. It helps us to understand that each and every day we have the opportunity to spend some time alone with him, to have a, a devotional time or a quiet time and be listening. You know, you, the, you're a congregation that's learned about listening prayer. And as you read the word and, and are informed by the spirit, God wants to lay on your heart certain things for you to do. And in these next three months, God will have certain things for us to do together. And I need to be listening and you need to be listening. And with all of these amazing promises, it's wonderful to know that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, in the future, we can look back at these few months and we'll be able to say, wow, God was working in the whole crowd and God was working in us as individuals. And isn't it amazing what he did? So let's be open, let's be praying, let's be trusting, let's not be afraid. Let's, let's bless the Lord and trust him. Can we pray? God, you know each one of us here, and I'm just new here, and, and I, you know these folks so much better. And you know all of us together, and you want to do a beautiful thing. So help us, Lord, to respond to you. Help us, Lord, to be open and to pay attention to you every day because you pay attention to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.